1: Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your
0: story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your
1: host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett.
0: What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is a six-second stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that tells heartfelt stories to help you maximize your impact and inspire action in minimal time. Check out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. Hello, all my compelling storytellers out there. Today's episode of the Storytelling Lab is a special episode from our Health and Happiness Storytelling Series. Today's story is from our Financial Health, Health and Happiness Storytelling Night. And in full transparency, I have to say that my sister-in-law is a certified financial planner. And so when I was curating this storytelling night, I had to reach out to her and see if she knew people. I invited her to tell her story as well, but I wanted to see who she thought in the community was doing really good work. And the first name she said was Keith Beverly. Keith Beverly is our storyteller today and he is a managing partner at Grid 202 Partners and he is a black certified financial planner. And why that's important is because even though black and Latinos make up uh, over 30% of our population, there are only about 3.5% of the 80,000 certified financial planners in the U.S that is a major problem for people like keith and all of us really because it is the, the the playing field is skewed and what i love most about keith is he is in the financial planning world but it's because of social issues and and a purpose driven mission. And Lauren knew, my sister-in-law knew that that's what the health and happiness storytelling series was about. Like how do we take control of our health and happiness by really seek, seeking to deepen our impact with our communities and help our communities work together. Like a real social mission was was a part of it. So Keith understood that that this is how the generational wealth gap is has, is so wide and i I could empathize and identify with that because I come from a poor area of North Carolina, and it's simply a lack of education I didn't even have education uh, within my family about how to manage our money and so Keith had a real life experience through his own family and it and it made him decide to dedicate his life to to reversing that lack of knowledge in his community, especially in the low uh, the low income community. And that's so important for us to help people make, you know, take it to the next level is, is it doesn't just happen overnight. It's a generational thing. And part of Keith's mission is to get more black and brown certified financial planners in the space and therefore help communities that have been historically underrepresented and underprivileged get to a point where it's a level playing field. So I, I love Keith. I mean, he doesn't do this a lot. And I appreciated him so much for for standing up there and being courageous enough to not just talk about numbers, but to open up and be vulnerable and tell a real personal story about his experience and his history with finances within his family. And let me tell you something. we In this series, we talked about mental health. We talked about relationship health. There might not be another w- one another pillar of health that is quite as triggering to people as talking about their financial health this is this brings up a lot of this conjures up a lot of negative feelings within people and so i didn't realize until we did this series how important it was to have these conversations and share these stories so if you've been struggling with your financial health this is going to be a great story for you to hear i hope you love it here's keith beverly check it out
2: I just want to say just to start out that uh, I want to thank Lululemon uh, for sponsoring this outfit that I have on today. Um, When my daughter got in the car today, she said, daddy, you look snazzy. (laughs) I said, thank you. It's not really, I get those compliments from, um, from, from my 10 year old. Um, so, so thank you Lululemon for outfitting us. Today, thank you for your sponsorship. Thank you for everyone that, that came out to hear us tell some stories today. And, you know, my three loves of my life uh, are right there in the back. I have my, my lovely wife Brandy, uh, my daughter Karina and my my 5-year-old Karina and my 10-year-old Ariana. You wanna wave? Hey. So my 10-year-old when I was 10, when I was 10 old, 10 years old, her age um, was actually you talk about financial hardships? That was uh, a moment in my upbringing that really became hard. My mother, at the t- my mother had a um, a difficult situation with a general contractor. So she brought someone in to do some work in the house. That person ended up um, betraying her trust and put us in a very difficult financial situation because she had to go and get a second mortgage on the house. So this is a 10 years old, my daughter's in fourth grade. And I remember this very vividly. So right around fourth grade, my mother who's a teacher, she taught special education in Southeast D.C. I'm a native Washingtonian. Uh, so she taught special education in, in D.C. public schools and we had a pretty standard, you know, middle-income, middle-class lifestyle, right? So nine to five job, uh, summers off, like for the longest time, I didn't know that people actually worked in the summer. So I asked my mother, like, what do people do in the summertime? How come people still go to work? Like, summer was time to have fun because she was always off. So, you know, this situation happened and she had to take out a second mortgage on the house. And then she had to go and take on another job. So she would go to Southeast D.C. in the mornings, come all the way across town to northeast uh, and work at this infinite maternity home. And she did that for several years, so really from The time I was 10 up until when I graduated college, she worked these two jobs. And for me, uh, it really instilled a couple things. So one, it brought me and my mother much closer because we had this pact in the household. So the pact was this. Don't worry about what's going on outside of this house. I'm gonna take care of home. I'm gonna make sure that you have a roof over your head. I'm gonna make sure you have clothes on your back. I'm gonna make sure that you have food in your stomach. Your job is to go to school and get good grades. That's all you have to worry about. And that's what I did for most of my upbringing until I got to high school, right? So, you know, when I was in middle school, I went to, I uh, had to test into a middle school, like in DC at that time, there were, very, there were three very competitive junior high schools, right? You go to a great junior high school, then you make it on to a good high school, then you're, you know, you're set for life. So the junior high school I went to was across town. And um, a lot of times when you're across town, you don't necessarily know what's going on in your neighborhood. And I remember this time when I was just, this was back in the eighties, right? So actually early nineties. And I had Walkmans, people remember those? You had Walkmans, cassette player, right? So I'm just walking, I'm walking in the alley, right? I'm walking in the alley and listen to some rap that I probably shouldn't be listening to as a 12 year old kid. And I feel this hand on my shoulder just, like, grab me. And it was one of my friends from elementary school. He's a couple years older than me, but he was, like, a big dude. he was, you know, offensive lineman size in seventh grade, right? So this hand is on my shoulder. I look up, and it's this guy that, um, you know, I I knew, and I said, you know, what's going on? And he said, you know, Keith, we just got into it with some guys from, you know, across town and you really shouldn't be walking this alley right now. Like you really shouldn't, like you need to be more careful. You need to, you know, you shouldn't have your headphones on. And he was like really looking out for my welfare. And when I was growing up, like I always had this sense of people were in those types of situations really looking out for me because they saw something in me, even at third, fourth, fifth grade, they knew that I was gonna go places that they might not be able to, right? And this was early on in my life. So I'm really, really, you know, as far as back as I can remember, there were people out there that were looking out for me in my neighborhood, providing a safe space and really almost ushering me to a, a, a nice, uh, safe path uh, out of the, the neighborhood and the situation that we were in. So for me, as I progressed, um, I developed an interest in finance. So I bought my first stock when I was 14. Uh, the stock ended up going bankrupt and I learned a great lesson. So I shouldn't just buy stock because the ticker symbol sounds cool. I actually do research, right? So I developed a passion for financial markets, a passion for investing. And uh, I went to school and I always had an interest in finance, but also had an interest in psychology and helping people, right? So one of the things that I wanted to do, you know, back in the day, back when I was in high school, I saw myself being a psychiatrist. I just loved the idea. I was engrossed with the idea of someone laying down on a couch like that and telling me all their problems and what was going on in their lives, in their lives, and you know all these different challenges they were facing, and me just solving all their issues. Like I really found that to be a, a, a gratifying and and uh, rewarding potential career. Went to went to Carnegie Mellon undergrad and and um, started taking some some science courses and realized okay, so I have to actually do biology and chemistry to go down this path. I can't just know, read all the the clinical psychology books and just jump into somebody on my couch. Like you have to take, there's science behind it. And that wasn't appealing to me, right? So I decided that financial planning would be a great marriage of this interest in investing in financial markets and this interest that I had in in psychology. And that's really what I do as a financial planner. Now, you know, fast forward, I have clients. I don't have a couch in my office just yet, uh, although it has been recommended to me. But I have you know, offered a tissue here and there to clients who are dealing with, with stressful situations. And you know, marrying those two has been you know, one of the, the, the reasons that drew, that drew me to the profession. And you know, where I am right now in, in, in my, you know, Raina was talking about um, you know, all these different risks that he was taking. So in our industry, I would call that diversification risk, right? So he, 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 he was overly exposed to those, to, to that one investor, to that one, to that one, uh, project. And you know, that's something you have to, that's something you have to be, you know, be careful about. Uh, but you know, where I am right now is my mentality as, as a financial planner, isn't the typical mentality I think of a lot of people in our profession. I think in many ways I share that passion, uh, for doing what it is that I love for doing what it is that that gives me a thrill for doing what it is I think is right for what I've been called to do. Um, but, you know, sometimes the economics don't necessarily make sense, right? So uh, a lot of people that went down my path, you know, went to the schools I went to, had the credentials and things that I have, they end up going to, to Wall Street and live uh, a, a life that is more, I'll say, stable than, than the life of an entrepreneur, right? So as an entrepreneur, you follow your passion, you follow what it is that you, that you love doing, and you, you get a lot of enjoyment and fulfillment from that. And you know, one of the driving passions for me right now is this issue of, of the wealth gap, right? So when you look at a lot of, when you look at the country right now and, and where we are, uh, we're facing a lot of challenges. Um, I, I would contend that closing the, the racial wealth gap is the civil rights issue of our time, right? So we've done a lot on the education front, we've done a, a lot on you know, voting rights and all of those, um, issues, which are important and critical. But when you look at the wealth divide in this country and what that means to your everyday life, what that means to your opportunities, there aren't, I don't think there's a more important and more pressing issue than that right now. Uh, and one of my particular passions is advisors of color. So many of you might be familiar with the the credential certified financial planner. So there are over 83,000 certified financial planners in the country right now. Uh, Of those 83,000, only 1.5% are African-American and 1.8% are Hispanic-American, right? Out of those 83,000, right? 1.5% and 1.8%, so 3.3% total. And, you know, both groups represent over 30% of the population right now. And I'm working very diligently on correcting that um, and on improving those numbers. I have an initiative right now called uh, the 20 by 2020 initiative, so a couple years ago, I came up with this idea, I said, You know what I want to help 20 black advisors get the CFP and I didn't really know how I was going to do it I just set the goal and you know started you know marching toward it and fortunately I'm in a position where uh, and we're in an age where people uh, see you on LinkedIn and social media and you can connect with people who you you know don't meet in every day and I was able to garner some resources and garner some, some energy and, and some momentum. And now I have actual, an actual team. You know, one of them is one of the, the CFPs is back there who just came in, James, how you doing James? <laughs> so now I have a team that's actually helping me towards, you know, towards this mission. And um, you know, for me personally, when I came out of, uh, I did my MBA at UNC, so go Hills and and when I came out, I did what I would not recommend to anyone, I started my own firm, right? And one of my earliest clients is here in the audience today. Uh, but I shouldn't have started my own firm. I should have went to work at some big company and made a nice, comfortable salary. You know, I had something on the, on the, on the table uh, when I came out of school, and I passed on it. And my wife, you know, right there, she's shaking her head.
1: <laughs> she's shaking her head
2: still. <laughs> Still shaking her head, well, okay. We, exactly, for the, dress, my ride or die right there. So, you know, it had something nice and comfortable on, on the table and I said, eh, you know, I, I'm gonna go after the passion. I'm gonna do it, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make the film. I'm gonna do it, I have a vision. And for me, my vision was, in my eyes, it was a very simple vision, right? I, I wanted to be in an environment where I was surrounded by highly you know, competent, well credentialed professionals. Uh, I wanted to be able to uh, work with people that were millionaires, but also people who weren't quite there yet. Uh, I wanted to have some clients of color and I, I really wanted to be able to demonstrate cultural dexterity, right? So being able to go in and out of different environments and be my authentic self. And I didn't think that those were big requirements for me to have um, as a career in a job, until I actually started talking to companies and realized it wasn't possible, right? So I'm a very reluctant entrepreneur. So I'm, I'm a, I, I consider myself an entrepreneur out of necessity, not out of, you know, want or desire. But now that I'm on the path here, um, I have a commitment to the people that are at the firm. Right now we're up to, uh, we have five advisors on the team now. So we have four CFPs of color. Uh, we have a very high bar. So in order to be a senior advisor at our firm, you have to be multi-credentialed. Right? So you can't just have the CFP, you have to have the CFP plus a bunch of other letters after your name. So we set the bar incredibly high for the advisors that we have at the firm. And that's really because the clients that we work with deal with a lot. They deal with a lot. I have clients that are uh, just a couple of things that come to mind. I had a client within the past couple weeks, she had to settle with her company for over $150,000 for back pay company was underpaying her to the tune of over $150,000 over the course of a few years. So I hear stories like this, and I didn't realize, honestly, I didn't realize how bad it is for women. I didn't realize how bad it is for people of color, and especially women of color, until I started hearing these stories. And you know, I'm driven right now, and, and you know, I, I've kind of redirected my path and, and what I want to do from just thinking about me and the Beverly household to thinking bigger and, you know, growing something that's special where we can bring in, uh, professionals that are committed to excellence first and foremost, but also committed to service. And that's really the, the guiding mantra of the, the, the clients who we work with, where it's not just about accumulating wealth. We want to help you accumulate wealth, right? because the numbers for it to be a viable business and for us to you know, do well, you have to have a certain level of assets and wealth and all that good stuff. But we also wanna make sure you're committed to, to service, you're committed to leaving a legacy, you're committed to positive social impact. And I think as you go down our client list, all of our clients have that commitment to, to both of those, those dual commitments of you know, service and to, uh, and to accumulating wealth. And so I, I'll close with this thought, Uh, From a very early age, like I said, I've always known my role, right? So my role has been not just to, um, you know, just be in the books, not to, you know, be out on the corner and and doing things that uh, I shouldn't be doing, but it's to have a foot in both worlds and being able to relate to people in all types of environments. And that's what, you know, we do at the firm, uh, Grid 202 Partners, and what I'm doing with Moxie, the initiative that we have to bring more... uh, CFPs of color into the industry. And that's really my life's work. And at the end of the day, what drives me is knowing that when I look at my, my two daughters, you know, back there, they can be proud of what daddy does. And it's not just about money. It's about him, uh, fulfilling his purpose. It's about him wanting to be a better man. It's about him wanting to leave an impact on society and be a, uh, really a, 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 a leader in the community in a certain type of way. Right. And I think that That leadership that I want to embody is leading not just by telling someone where to go, but going there and
0: bringing people along with me. Thank you. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us, and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow, and that's what we're here to do.